Well, good morning. The uh, frozen chosen, I think, is the phrase that, that often comes out on days like today. Thank you for coming this morning. We are starting our series through systematic theology. So um, this morning we have an introduction lesson where we're just kind of doing an overview, um, do some terms, definitions, and uh, going to look at some, some themes as well. So um, I'm excited. I hope you guys are as well. Um, and I know this will be a blessing for our church as we go through it. So I'm going to pray, ask God to bless it, and uh, then we'll dive in. Gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning that we um, are able to come together, that we are able to study your word freely. Lord, that's a blessing that we don't want to take for granted. And Lord, we ask that your spirit would be present um, just transforming our hearts and minds. Help this to not be something that's simply informational. Um, we want to be more like Jesus, and we need your help to accomplish that. Help us to uh, focus and give um, our full attention to you, Lord, and ask that you would do the work. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So for our introduction to systematic theology, uh, we are going to look over um, some basic terms. We want this to be a study that is edifying and helpful for our church family, our body. We want to be um, rich in regards to doctrine. We want to have sound doctrine. Um, and some of these terms may fly over our heads. Um, the word doctrine, for example, or the word theology. Um, we use it in a sentence and we know the context, but um, understanding what some of these terms mean and where they come from is going to be helpful as we kind of dive in. So I'm excited to get to review some of this information with us, and we're hopeful um, and prayerfully diving into this so that um, our body can be edified. So what is theology, I thought would be the first question that we would answer this morning. So when you break down the word, it actually comes from the Greek. Uh, the first word would be theos. And does anybody know what theos means in Greek? That's right, it means God. Does anybody know what the word logos means in Greek? Word, that's right. That's what it means. So literally, the word itself means a word about God. So it's not even necessarily um, the God of Scripture. It's really a generic word. Pagans would have used it. Um, it's not a word found in Scripture, uh, but it literally means a word about God. But in our context of how we're applying the word, we're talking about the study of the God of the Scriptures. Scripture is our primary textbook as we go through this study. So a basic definition of theology would be uh, the study of God concerning his works and his word. We want to know who God is by what he has said and by what he has done. John MacArthur uh, defines Christian theology this way. He says, Christian theology is the study of the divine revelation in the Bible. It has God at its perpetual center or constant center and God's word as its source and godliness as its aim. So theology is going to be about the study about who God is. He is constantly at the center. He is the author of Scripture, and he is also the one who Scripture is all about. So it's important for us to kind of have that mindset in regards to the topic of theology, but there's, there's lots of different types of theology. There's systematic theology, which we're going to be looking at. There's biblical theology. There's exegetical theology, dogmatic, historical, natural, pastoral, all these different topics that you can really... Uh, put as a prefix or a descriptor of the word theology and to provide different categories. But for us, we want to go through systematic theology. And really, um, it's built on, and I put it over, biblical and exegetical theology. So exegesis is studying out of the grammar of Scripture to say, hey, there's an original author, there's an audience, what was actually being communicated. So reading out of Scripture what its intent was, what its 
um, author intended. And a biblical is really, if you did biblical theology, it's, it's meant to go chronologically. So it wants to trace the story of scripture from Genesis to Revelation and say, what has God revealed about himself in that order of revelation of history? And systematic is instead of going chronologically, it's taking all of this content and putting it under categories and organizing it so that we can understand what all of scripture says about a topic. So to get to systematic, you have to have exegetical theology, you have to have biblical theology. Um, one analogy I read that was helpful was exegetical theology is kind of uh, the building materials, which we would be familiar with in a church renovation project, right? So building materials like wood, lumber, concrete, um, the biblical theology would then be the foundation. This is what we view scripture on in the historical narrative. So it's laying the foundation and actually setting it. And then systematic is the structure on top of it. So you have to have the other two to actually have the final structure and see what scripture teaches about a topic. So um, what is systematic theology specifically? So systematic theology is defined this way uh, by John MacArthur. He says systematic theology answers the question what does the completed canon of scripture teach about any one theme or topic? And I think questions are always helpful. Um, I like condensing questions because it helps us remember things a little better, but that's really what the heart of systematic theology is. It says from front to back, from cover to cover, what does scripture teach about a specific theme or topic? James L. Garrett uh, summarizes it in this way. He says, it's the ordered exposition of Christian doctrine. So systematic is to gather together, right? And it's just organizing in a way that we can understand it. And there's lots of categories, and there's primarily, some people split it into nine or ten categories of systematic theology. And these are categories that we'll go through in this study um, through our adult uh, Bible Sunday School class. So some of these um, are familiar. Some of them may be words you've never heard of, but I wanted to just kind of give you uh, little shout-outs and inklings of what we're going to go through in this journey together. So uh, bibliology is uh, where we're going to start. Bibliology is simply the study of the Scriptures. What does Scripture teach about itself? Where does it come from? Who's the author? How was it written? And answer a lot of those questions. Uh, we're also going to go through uh, theology proper, which is the doctrine about God the Father. Christology would be the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Pneumatology would be the study of the Holy Spirit. Soteriology would be the study of the doctrine of salvation and what scripture teaches on that. Anthropology would be the study of man and harmartiology would be the study of sin. A lot of times you'll see those combo together since that's our problem. Uh, also, uh, angelology would be the study of Angels, man, you guys are sharp. Uh, ecclesiology would be the study of, does anybody know? The church, that's right. Ecclesiology is the study of the doctrine of the church and what scripture teaches. And then eschatology is the study of end times. So each of these categories or headers um, are going to give us kind of an intro to a new topic to say, what does all of scripture teach on these specific themes, these primary doctrines and tenets of the faith that we need to understand uh, from God's perspective. So each of these, you could say, is the doctrine of something. It's the doctrine of the Bible. It's the doctrine of God the Father. So what does the word doctrine actually mean? For some of you, it may trigger uh, different feelings, uh, different emotions, different desires um, in regards to happy, sad, I like it, I don't. It causes conflict, it doesn't. Um, but doctrine, really, um, a basic definition, if you were just to do a one-word synonym, you can think of teaching. Um, teaching. So doctrine specifically, when we're talking about it here, 
in regards to scripture is it represents the teaching that is authoritative, which means it comes from God's word. Doctrine is what the whole Bible teaches us today about some particular topic is the way Grudem defines it. Doctrine is what you could say the result of doing systematic theology. So if you do the work and you go through and you pick out all the verses that talk about forgiveness, you would come out with a doctrine of what God teaches is true about forgiveness because it's the teaching from his word. There is a direct inseparable relationship between sound doctrine and saintly living and that's part of the fruit that we're praying is born out of this study. Um, I've heard it said doctrine without maturity is possible. You can understand a lot about God's word and not grow in maturity and in your spiritual walk. But to have true spiritual maturity requires doctrine. So it's a necessary ingredient. It doesn't conclude that you obviously grow in maturity, but it is a necessary ingredient. So we want to present that, provide that, and start edifying our church body with rich doctrine so that you can um, enrich your families, teach your children. We're supposed to pass on sound doctrine. We're also supposed to grow in godliness, and this is a necessary ingredient for that to know what God has said. So some no's, no, no, no about doctrine. These would be wrong ideas. Um, right doctrine automatically leads to godliness. You may have heard somebody say that. That's not true. That's not um, uh, a true conclusion about uh, what, doc- what it means to be taught doctrine and then live godly is an automatic Um, It doesn't matter how a person lives so long as they have right doctrine. Maybe you've heard that. Living is more important than learning. Um, Doctrine deadens, spiritually speaking. Some people say it's dry or it drags on um, their spiritual walk. That's not true. That's not what scripture teaches, and we'll see that in a minute. There is uh, no connection, maybe you've heard it said, between what one believes and how one lives. Well, I think this way, and I think this is true, but it doesn't mean I have to live any differently. I'm still doing what, what I want. That's not true. How about you've heard Christianity is life, not doctrine. They try to push it down. Or they say doctrine is divisive, that it doesn't help bring people together, so we don't really want to really land anywhere or put our foot down because we don't want to be divisive amongst people we're supposed to be promoting unity. Here's what Scripture says about doctrine. 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So sound doctrine is actually profitable. It's good for us. And it also helps us delineate between truth and error, between right and wrong. If you don't have it, how are you supposed to be discerning? How are you supposed to make decisions for your kids, for your spouse? How are you supposed to make decisions at work on what to talk about with others or what decisions to make in regards to integrity? We need to have sound doctrine to inform our minds on how to make these decisions. We're commanded to pass on sound doctrine both in Matthew 28 and in 2 Timothy 2.2. Churches were commended or condemned based on sound doctrine in Revelations chapter 2. Ephesus was commended for their sound doctrine, whereas Pergamum and Thyatira were condemned for their lack of sound doctrine. So as a church as a whole, it matters in regards to how God evaluates his church. Sound doctrine protects the church from false teachers. In Titus, he talks about that as well, that if we're to ward out false teachers and false doctrine, we have to know what the real thing is. Um, Some of you have heard it before, but I love the analogy of how um, the dollar is studied. If you're ever into counterfeit currency, 
Um, the way they teach you to sniff out a counterfeit is they sit the real dollar bill in front of you and make you study every inch of it, every centimeter of that dollar, so you can know the smell, the taste, the color, everything about it. So if we don't know what God's word says, we're sure to fall prey to a fake dollar. And that's why it's important, and Paul warns uh, the early church about protecting itself against false teachers, even when the canon of scripture hadn't even been fully completed yet. They still needed to know what God said, what God has done, so that they don't fall prey to false teachers. Um, On the contrary, the antonym of these positives would be that false belief does produce sinful behavior. And Titus, uh, Paul made that clear to Titus as well, that if you don't have sound doctrine, you're sure to fall into sin. You're not going to please God in your own way. And there's tons of examples in scripture too about how God did not receive the worship that man divined for themselves. This is how I want to worship God. But God says, this is how I will be worshipped. Know who I am and worship me the way I've, I've communicated to you to do so. So um, not only do we want to understand doctrine, we want to understand the intention behind this. Why, why study systematic theology? Well, our mission here at Redemption Hill, based on scripture, is to glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, you do all to the glory of God. And turn with me to Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. We actually see um, in Matthew chapter 28 the final verses um, in verse 19 and verse 20. Jesus is speaking. In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Part of the Great Commission and part of our mission here as a church is tied up in why we study systematic theology. Our intention is to obey Jesus' commands. And to obey him, this is part of the commands, is for us to go and teach them all that he has commanded us to obey. So for us to do that, systematic theology provides us the platform with which we can condense and concisely go through all of Scripture and say, here are these commands, here are these truths that are important for us to obey this mission statement of both being a disciple, of knowing who God is, of making disciples, teaching them who God is, and glorifying God in our obedience to this command. So Matthew 28, 19 through 20, star it, box it, highlight it, memorize it. It's a key verse that will come up more than once in our study through systematic theology. So, and it's definitely a key verse in regards to our introduction of why we should study systematic theology. So our goal is to seek to know God so that we may worship him. That's, that's really the, the summary statement of why we want to proceed in doing a study and take on a study like this. I like the way uh, John MacArthur kind of um, delineates or lines out the, the thought process here. He says, extending one's biblical knowledge which will enable one's sound understanding of doctrine, which will enrich one's divine wisdom, which will expand one's Christ-like obedience, which will elevate one's holy worship. And for me, I like coming up with acronyms, and we're in Jayhawk country, so if you look down, it's an acrostic of K-U-Wow. 
right? <laughs> Knowledge leads to understanding, leads to wisdom, leads to obedience, leads to worship, right? That thought process is laid out in scripture and we want to make sure that we're pursuing it in that way, that that's how these are tethered together between knowledge of who God is and worship of the one true God. We need to make sure we understand that that's the heart that needs to be evident and really the heart of why we're wanting to do this for our church body. So not only why study, but how. How should we study systematic theology? There's actually three answers I wanted to uh, review as we kind of prepare our hearts to go through this study together, and one of them is prayerfully. So as we come to Scripture to see who God is and what he has done and what he has said, we need to come to it prayerfully. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things about your law. That's a prayer. That's a prayer from the psalmist. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, The unspiritual man does not receive the gifts of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If our heart or our mindset is to come into this study and we're just going to get intellectual information, the goal of worship will not be obtained. Um, We need to come to it prayerfully asking that God would help us to understand his word, that he would open our eyes to see the wondrous works he has done. Our mind and our heart cannot be changed apart from God's help. And honestly, for a lot of us in this room, what we don't need is more data. We don't need more input and information, although that will be helpful, and some of you may want that. What we really need often is more insight. And insight is something that comes from the Spirit, and we need to pray that he would enlighten us to see these glorious truths and to respond in a life that is living in submission to it. So secondly, how should we study systematic theology is with humility. First Peter chapter 5 says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. James 1, 19 and 20 speaks to this topic as well. Let, let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. It's the context in which I learned a lot of this information was a thickly proud environment because I was a 20-something-year-old in a college environment with a bunch of other 20-year-olds who grew up in church and wanted to learn this organized systematic theology. And there's almost this anticipation of freshmen coming in and starting to take these classes and how puffed up knowledge can can cause these, these young men to be. But our desire is to anticipate that knowledge from Scripture puffs up and to recognize what, what God seeks to bless and what he pours his grace on is a humble heart. There may be a temptation for, for some of us to come towards, uh, be tempted towards pride or arrogance as information is being poured in. Or you may have a heart to say, you know what, I really want to come to this study because I argue about this stuff all the time with my coworkers or with other people in my family, and I really want to be equipped to win those sort of arguments and not feel like a loser. That's not what the main goal of this is for. There, there may be um, a heart to be able to do that, but it's going to start with humility. Um, it's got to, you've got to come to a point where it's like, this. my goal is not to win arguments, and it's not to just learn information, but I want to seek to understand what God has said, what he has done, who he is, so that I may be transformed, so that I may be changed and submitted to who God is personally. 
And honestly, the result of studying this, the goal in scripture of what it teaches, is the result should be that we should be more humble, that we should communicate these truths with humility and with love. That's really what scripture says about the results. So um, you've been warned. <laughs> Guard your heart against that. Uh, our desire is not to try to equip everybody to be a correction officer, but, but to be somebody who truly loves the Lord more and knows him more and walks with him. So um, I just wanted to put that in there because I know that was a struggle for me, but it's important for us to be prepared for what the flesh wants to do to corrupt and undermine the goodness of God's word and who he is. So thirdly, the result of how, or the question of how should we study systematic theologies, we should do it with rejoicing and with praise. Psalm 139 says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Psalm 19, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Psalm 119, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. These truths that we're going to study are not um, merely analytical. This is not a, a mental exercise of what your brain can fit into it about um, the content of, for say, mathematics or something, how much you can store in regards to information and problem solving. But the goal here is actually to have personal transformation by beholding the God of the universe. He is the wondrous, living, true God, and we need to remember that as we go through these truths. We're not trying to navigate a pipeline to make sure our connections and wiring in our brain understand something exhaustively. Anthropology 101, we're finite, God's infinite. We're never going to know him exhaustively. And even when we get to heaven, we will not fully exhaust who God is and how wondrous he is. And that's part of the beauty of heaven is that you'll get to constantly be amazed by who God is. If you've ever had that, that shock of awe moment, that's what it's going to be like in heaven, recognizing who he is and being blessed and grateful and humbled by his provision of a savior for wretched sinners like us. So I think it's important for us to recognize what scripture says should be our response when we look at who God is and that our goal is to, to not study um, as if our heart or our lives are uninvolved or going to be unchanged. The goal is change. And if we miss the mark on that, uh, we're missing all of it. So one of the things I wanted to do in addition to providing a little bit of an introduction is I wanted to give us a theme. So um, a theme for all of scripture that was a, a reminded as I was studying through this was um, there's a way to summarize all of scripture in one word. Do you guys have any guesses or how would you, what is a one word response if somebody says summarize the whole Bible in one word, what would you say? Truth. Truth. That's a good one. I didn't have that on here, but that's a good one. What else? Revelation. Christ. That's one that I, I anticipated, right? How about promise? There's important promises in scripture. Or grace. Grace would be one. Or redemption. I think that's part of what some of you were possibly alluding to as well. There's one word that encompasses all of these. And really, the word is kingdom. It's kingdom. Kingdom is, is not one that I would have jumped to as a, as a thought for a word, and I didn't hear anybody, maybe somebody was sitting on the thought, but kingdom is something that's seen all throughout scripture and is really the, a theme that ties the narrative from pre-creation all the way to post-revelation, like eternity from eternity, end to end. Kingdom actually covers all of scripture. When you look at the theme of kingdom, or I guess I could have called it kingdomology if we're doing that today, 
The Old Testament has the theme of kingdom in 36 out of the 39 books. It's only missing in Leviticus, Ruth, and Joel. And in the New Testament, there's 21 out of 27 books that include it, uh, missing just a few of the epistles. So overall, in just the books of Scripture, we see over 86% of the books of the Bible mention this idea of kingdom. Between king, kingdom, reign, and throne, those words appear over 3,000 times in the Old Testament. And you can imagine some of that's including king so-and-so, king so-and-so, but the theme is still present. And then also in the New Testament, it appears over 160 times. This kingdom theme of scripture is also present in regards to who God is. He is the king of eternity from past all the way to the future. He is, the God is the king of creation. He created everything, so he's in charge. It's his rule. God is the king of history. God is the king of redemption. He planned it. He executed it. God is the king of the earth, and he is the king of heaven. When we look at Jesus and his teachings, he illustrated the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God in his earthly ministry multiple ways and times. When we look at the titles of Christ, we see that he is given the title of king of Israel, king of the Jews, king of kings, king of the ages, immortal, invisible, and king of the nations. And when you think about the narrative story, you can tell it with kingdom language, right? God is the king of everything, and he created a kingdom. And he created two kingdom citizens, right? Adam and Eve. And those kingdom citizens rebelled against the king's rule. And they said, we don't want to do it your way. We want to do it our way. And the enemy tempted them to do so, and they fell into sin. And curses were placed on that disobedience that are still present today. And promises were made that were executed to bring those kingdom citizens back into a right relationship with their king so that they can dwell with him for eternity forever in his kingdom that he is bringing and will provide for us. Kingdom language is all throughout scripture and it ties the story together of all of history, including who Christ is, redemption, grace, and the promises. And it is truth. Truth was mentioned, not word I thought of, but absolutely God's word is true. You could title it a book that is all truth, and we'll see that in bibliology as well. But kingdom is something that I wanted to share with you as something that is a crucial theme for all of Scripture. And I wanted to give you that piece of the puzzle so that in your own personal study, and as we go through systematic theology, you'll be able to really see that theme pop up in different places and see this this thread sewn throughout uh, Scripture um, in regards to the kingdom. Some resources I wanted to mention as well for our study. Obviously, our primary textbook is God's Word. All of this is sourced in God's Word, and we want to provide scriptures. And obviously, you're free to ask questions because we'll be sprinting through some of these scriptures. We'll look at some of them, and others will be footnotes. Feel free to take pictures with your phone or ask questions afterward. We want to provide you the content as well. But two other textbooks that um, the teachers of the class will be using and referencing often is um, Biblical Doctrine by John MacArthur and Biblical Doctrine by Wayne Grudem as well. So just to let you guys know a couple of references. Some tips I wanted to give you as well as we go through this study is to take notes. Um, be a student, right? Pretend like you're back in college and this is your class at 9.30 on Sunday mornings. Come with a notebook. Take notes. It will help you. It will benefit you as you go through it. And you'll have questions later that you want to go back and reference. Build the resource tool now. It's one hour a week that you're going to be spending, but you would spend four to ten times the amount of time if you tried to go through and do it back on your own. So 
benefit from the study and the preparation and the textbooks that have been provided, the resources. Take notes. Um, I would also encourage you to mark the verses in your Bible. When I was in college and going through systematic theology, I was super nerdy. I like color coordinating, so I picked out like a, a red pen for systematic theology one and a blue one for like bibliology and a green one. And I still love that Bible that I had in college because as you read through it, you're seeing, okay, this isn't the main point about this overall passage, but it helps you understand the context of what's being taught as you read through it yourself. It's like, okay, this verse came up as a crucial verse in bibliology. What is the author trying to prop up here? Why is he pressing so hard on the um, inerrancy or the truthfulness of scripture to Timothy, for example? Or when you're in Acts and you're reading through the story of Ananias and Sapphira, it's clear that the divinity of the Holy Spirit is laid out here when we study through pneumatology. So how does that support the narrative of the story that's being told? And why is that such a pivotal piece in the story? Having your Bible marked up is going to make it a better tool for you as you go through and study the Bible on your own and take up these tools. So um, some of you have really pretty Bibles, but I would tell you it'll be much prettier as you mark it up and color coordinate or create a legend that helps you understand what is being taught in these passages and make it a tool for you, for your kids, and a resource. You will greatly benefit from doing that. So also, don't be afraid to ask questions or discuss with others. One of the great things about learning some of this in a college format is you go to lunch afterward and you pick people's brains and say, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? We want that. We want you guys to be discussing amongst each other or asking teachers afterward or, or leadership or whoever it is. We want the discussion to be propagated and to, to encourage, ask people questions that don't come to the Sunday school. So they'll be like, that's a good question. I didn't know that. Maybe I should start coming to this class. We want, we want there to be discussion because that's how you can really breed understanding. You know, they say about teaching is until you teach it, you haven't really obtained it fully for yourself. And part of it is when you start to articulate these truths to other people, you will solidify, you will put in concrete the truths that you're being taught yourself. So being able to articulate it, even if it's fumbling over words or asking questions as a start, will help you retain truth, rehearsing the truth. And then also part of retention is just committing to memory. So um, we're going to try to provide you in um, our studies um, key passages um, for you guys to uh, hopefully take the extra effort, do the extra credit, and set aside time to memorize these passages. So for the introduction, um, I would pick Matthew 28, 19, and 20. So take the time this week to review that verse, to meditate on it, to pray through it, and seek to memorize and commit to memory verses that will edify you, that will equip you. Um, scripture teaches us that we need that. We need to know the truth of God's word and we need to hide it in our hearts so that we can walk in obedience, so that we don't sin against him. And these are an opportunity for you to take the application and the discussion and the content and then have a verse tied to it and then sink it into your memory. So those are some tips for you guys. I hope that you guys take those to heart um, and that you, you have a, a heart that is prayerfully and humbly prepared to dive into this and that rejoicing will come out of it. So uh, please do plan on joining us next week. Uh, we're planning to have Kerry Wilson open us up in the topic of bibliology, the doctrine of the Bible. And he's going to be covering three topics of that, which is inspiration, inerrancy, and authority. So um, with that, you're dismissed.